0: Whatever y'all did on the back-to-back in LA, don't do it tonight. That team wasn't better than us. Be ready. It's easy. What you mean? I kind of had it going.
1: Give me a chance to be great. I want to be great.
0: Some people call those winning characteristics a group of hungry individuals. It ain't sweet. He can do everything. He's just nice. You trying to put the league on notice? excited because we got more to do so hello this is dan radke co-host of the wolves watch podcast i'm joined as i always am by ricky jimbruno rick how are you
1: dude i'm great it's fresh fresh off of work like uh, michael scott at the call center ready to put in another shift here
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah we we uh, talked on the opening episode we released uh, for anybody that listened to it that we were going to be coming back uh, this upcoming weekend, and we had to come in for an emergency kind of late-night Thursday podcast because, as anybody who pays attention to the league, there was a huge trade that took place today. So you and I have been talking all summer about the likelihood of this happening and when it would happen and where it would happen. Well, Donovan Mitchell has officially been traded to Cleveland. Whoa! Uh, <laughs> it was. It was wild. It was a big wow. Um uh, And I'll just real quick over what the terms of the trade were. The Cavs and Jazz, it was Utah sending just Donovan Mitchell in this trade to the Cavs. The Cavs sent back uh, Colin Sexton, Larry Markkinen, uh, first-round pick Ogbaje out of Kansas, and then a slew of first-rounders, three unprotected firsts in 25, 27, and 29, with swaps in 26 and 28, uh, following a blueprint that we've seen in uh, in some other blockbuster trades, notably with our uh, our t- our own Timberwolves trading for Rudy Gobert, another jazz player here earlier this summer. So what I want to know from you, Rick, is what was your initial response? And, uh, and now that we've had some hours to digest this, kind of where are you standing on this trade? Initial thoughts.
1: Very, very surprised because I thought, and listeners to the Tough Watch will know that Dan and I were all over this I don't know, six, six to eight months ago that we had circled New York as the team that had the goods to go after Donovan Mitchell. Obviously, we knew Donovan Mitchell's connection to the Knicks in the New York area, and it seemed as though all of the NBA community had come to the exact same consensus as us. And so I was expecting that he was going to end up in New York, basically no matter what. Because even if you look at this package that they ultimately took from Cleveland, it's a hell of a lot like the rumored package that was supposed to be coming from New York. And so it just leads you to believe that, you know, and there's been some reporting ultimately about what the Knicks' final offer actually was. But it, it really does uh, go and show that they, Cleveland or excuse me, Utah set the price of what they wanted. This is really no different than I think you and I would have expected or what was reported when it became clear that Mitchell was going to be on the block. And they got exactly what they wanted for him.
0: Yeah, it was interesting. I have not listened to any podcast
1: about about this,
0: specifically because I just wanted us to have kind of our unfettered feelings about this to be released without it being, you know, um, impacted by by the beliefs of others that follow the league and cover the league. But I will say this. There was a few tweets that came out about what the alleged final offer from New York was. The thing I found more interesting is what the alleged initial offer from New York was, uh, which involved Mitchell Robinson. And when Utah made it clear that that offer wasn't going to be accepted, that's when they ended up extending Mitchell Robinson to keep him in New York. But one of the one of the tweets I saw, and again, how plugged in this guy is, who knows. But Rick Buecher tweeted that part of the motivation for Utah was they were upset with the way the Knicks had preemptively tried Mm. to lure Donovan Mitchell. And so if, if all things were equal, their preference out of spite was to not move him to New York.
1: Yeah, you can see that. And for, for any of the listeners that are kind of unaware to the extent of the boldness of this move is, (laughs) The the Knicks really sent their whole executive team to the to a first round um, series game, Dallas and um, Utah, and of course they ended up with uh, Jalen Brunson, and that you know people with the Mavs were pissed off about that, and then they they killed two they were trying to kill two birds with one stone, and this is one of those things that is it's not completely unheard of uh, when. Kawhi was with Toronto in his one year, is basically known that the Clippers were sending guys to pretty much all of his games, just if nothing else, for them to be in Kawhi's eye line and just so he could just visually see that they are they are that interested. And so do I I mean, I don't know. I guess here's the question. Do you think all things are equal here? Because you know obviously we can't know about how these negotiations went down, but do you view Colin Sexton at that number to be because that's really what it comes down to? I think at the end of the day, they probably could have gotten a similar number of picks if it really came down to it. Um, and so it's kind of about like those ancillary pieces. And it's do you like Colin Sexton at that number better than RJ Barrett? Certainly, you like marketing in better than some of the other guys that could have come from New York, and so it's honestly there would have been good trades either way for Utah.
0: Yeah, I think I see it as all things equal. I think it is a wise bet historically to want picks from either Cleveland or New York.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, Cleveland, so I don't. For, for everyone to remember, Cleveland had the number one overall pick three times in four years last decade. So if you own three of their unprotected future first round picks, history says that's going to be pretty good for you.
0: Yeah. The ownership has remained the same. And although
1: they've done some smart things in the front office under
0: Colby Altman, you have to believe that things will regress to the mean under bad ownership, which we've seen following the Timberwolves for years and years. Um, I will say the picks to me were pretty equal. And then it comes down to the return in uh, existing players. And I think for what Utah, and we'll get into this, what Utah is clearly trying to accomplish through tanking, it actually was a in my opinion, a very good move for their 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 kind of short term goal, which is you get Colin Sexton, and when Rick mentioned the number, it's because he immediately signed an extension to stay in Utah at four years, seventy two million, which again with a cap spike coming, is going to be a bargain, regardless of what very you think of Colin Sexton. Deal. Yep. Yeah, and Laurie Markkinen is a guy that isn't going to move the needle in terms of wins and losses, and again, you could flip him at some point if you wanted to because the team would pay you a little bit to get at Laurie Markkinen, and then you get a first-rounder in Akbaji who, I mean, who cares? My point is they didn't get anything that will move the needle in terms of the win-loss record this upcoming season, and they got all the picks from a team that has historically been bad. So I think they, I think they netted what they wanted to net.
1: Yeah, and I, I want to take it to here because I'm going to say something, Dan, that's kind of contradictory, which is I think Utah <clears throat> made out really well here because I do think that the Jazz of the past several seasons kind of maxed out what a team featuring Donovan Mitchell as their lead um, offensive engine could and would be, even though those are the earliest years of his career, he's 25, caveat, caveat, he can get way better, all of that stuff. Just for me, if, if, if you were going to make that bet, I would probably make the same bet Utah is making. And so kudos to them for doing that. Now, having said that, I think this is a great trade for Cleveland also because unlike, unlike the New York Knicks, man, Donovan Mitchell is not the number one guy. He might, I mean, he might very well be the best player on their team this upcoming season. It depends. I think there's an argument to be made that Darius Garland was even better last year, but that's, I mean, it's at least debatable. And then going forward, I don't know, maybe, I mean, if Evan Mobley is who they think he is, they think, they think he's their franchise player. And so (laughs) now, now you have one of your own homegrown guys in Darius Garland on a five year max deal coming off of an all-star game in his third season. You have Donovan Mitchell multiple time, all-star 25 years old, And you still have the guy you believe is your franchise player, which is basically the exact same scenario that we have been talking about and will continue to talk about with the Timberwolves with Anthony Edwards.
0: So let's real quick put a bow on Utah, because I do want to spend a lot more time talking about Cleveland. Definitely. Um, And we'll get to that in a second. So the Utah side of it, the other thing that I find interesting, and I, I find it to be a good bit of business, is the rumor for the longest time prior to the extension was that R.J. Barrett was the key piece coming back to Utah in a potential mixed trade. And the reason I think it's a good bit of business to make the deal that they did is because the argument is, and again, each person has their own opinions on RJ Barrett. You and I are notoriously high on him. But even as we are high on RJ Barrett, if you're Utah, you have to be looking at RJ and go, well, unless he's like a multi-time all-star, if he's anything beneath that level of player, it actually is probably bad for us that he comes back our way. And so it's better that we completely bottom out and don't mess around with bringing back a guy that could be like a fringe all star level player that, given the keys, could get, you know could basically take us out of the bottom two or three teams in the league, especially if your if your bet on RJ is that he's not going to he's not going to reach whatever you think his peak is, which is maybe a multi time all star. So from that standpoint, it was it was a really good move in my opinion. The other thing to talk about, and I'll let you go on the on the next thing if you'd like. But the next point to talk about is what comes next for this Utah roster, mm. Beca- because now the moves begin. Because now Conley and Bogdanovich and Malik Beasley and Jared Vanderbilt and on down the line, making
1: less than Crawford, yeah, yeah Crawford. Wait, yeah, Clarkson, 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 yeah, Clarkson, Yeah, they have the new. They have the new Crawford slash Clarkson in, uh, Colin Sexton. Colin
0: so. Sexton, yeah, exactly. Yeah. They've already and replaced the that role. Yeah, yeah. So there's so many guys that hypothetically teams in the league would want to move for, and Utah obviously through the Gobert and, and Donovan Mitchell trades have made their future abundantly clear. So the next step is what happens with these guys and how quickly.
1: Yeah, and the question is, what's, what's the valuation of some of these guys? It's they're, they're actually now in a very different position attempting to move these guys uh, than they were with Rudy and Donovan Mitchell. They're, they're going to find themselves on the other side of the leverage teeter-tot here because people will definitely are definitely aware that they don't want to go into the season with any of these guys. And so if I was a good team, of course, I, I'd be interested in any one of those guys at the right price. Um, but I I don't imagine they're going to get too strong of offers, but you never know. I mean, you take any, could they take a combination of two or three of those guys and get both of those Laker picks? I don't see why not. You know, I think that's certainly at least an option, you know, something like that could be an option. Um, And there's, uh, there's just no shortage of teams looking for, the type of guys that they have. And so I mean you even just look at the Timberwolves. It's like, yeah, obviously I'd you know I'd take some of those Wolves back, but like a team in their tier, a solid playoff team hoping to be more, you'd be all over acquiring Bogdanovich or Mike Conley for a season.
0: Absolutely. And you know, Mike Conley may be the stickiest one just based on, you know, making the money work. But I mean, my God, guys like Clarkson, Bogdanovich, Malik Beasley, those are guys that are absolutely going to find a home. Jared Vanderbilt is...
1: I think he, they're going to keep Vanderbilt. I mean, I'd be surprised if they moved him because that contract is such a bargain bin deal. And it is, he's, you're right. He's, he's, he's legit young, too. I mean, he's probably 22. Um, So, I mean, they're, he's going to probably start for them, which if you think about, if you just assume that the vets on their team are going to go for you know, not a positive return for today, let's say, uh, their, their starting lineup is going to be ghastly. I mean, it's probably going to be a front court of Walker Kessler and Jared Vanderbilt um, <laughs> with, with who else? Uh, Akbar, Nikhil
0: Alexander-Walker. You know,
1: Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Colin Sexton. I mean, that's the worst team in the NBA. So in Colin Sexton, this is the interesting thing about him. I, are you ready for this, Dan? I already got a little taste of this, but... I think we can all expect to see a lot of player A, player B comparisons with cherry-picked stats so that you pick Colin Sexton as the mystery player instead of Donovan Mitchell. Just prepare for that. That's definitely coming.
0: No doubt about it. And, also, Colin and you...
1: Sexton Colin Sexton getting 25-plus a game and, uh, you know them being uh, the internet and everyone being like, wow, $18 million, like trader Danny does it again.
0: No, th- this is actually, I mean, not only is Utah organizationally accomplishing what they want, but you are 100% right that they are going to squeeze in a lot of artificial value out of guys on a 20 win team that, I mean, somebody has to put the fucking ball in the hole. Somebody has to shoot.
1: I mean, it's, so it's, it's like- all you can eat for sex in and, and actually they they can finally be the beneficiaries of letting him be who he is Because now that he actually has a second contract, there's no, you know, there's no facade that he's the franchise player. He can just be who he is. And and who he is, less people forget, is in his last full season, his age 22 season, I'm looking at it right now, he averaged 24 points a game efficiently in the NBA. So this is a guy that is a flawed player, but a guy that has taken unnecessary beating by the national media on his reputation. Um, you just don't remember a lot of guys that achieved what he achieved in his third year in the league, getting as little respect as he has gotten. Um, And again, that's not to say that, you know, I I think Cleveland is making some kind of mistake by moving on from him as a great move for their franchise. It's just that Colin Sexton is, is kind of unnecessarily a punching bag. And for me, I think that is, I think that that was, had some legitimacy as a veiled swipe at Cleveland for trying to shoehorn him in as a franchise player and probably maxing him and all of that stuff. But that's not, that's not true anymore. You know What is true is he is uh, going to be in his age 24 season making $18 million a year, and he's a guy that over the course of his entire career has averaged over 20 a game efficiently.
0: Yeah. And I'll say this too about, about, you know, the slander of Colin Sexton. And again, he's coming off an injury too. So there is going to be some time for him to get his legs under him. I will say that him ending up in Utah, given the, how bad this team is set up to be is actually probably the best thing for him in the nearest of terms. I'm talking like the next year or maybe two. Mm -hmm. Because it's going to allow him to establish an identity completely separate from his time in Cleveland, and it will be on a team that nobody pays any attention to, but to be frank with you, given given what his the opinion of him right now, that's the best thing for him. Like it's best to end up in a situation like this, develop yourself as a player, hopefully be on a team that rebuilds and is able to build pretty quickly through the draft picks they've acquired. As opposed to going somewhere where he was going to be on a team with a even a small bit of spotlight on him, you know, a play in contention. Well, Cleveland, team. honestly,
1: dude, Cleveland, it would have been Collins, and I think he, by all accounts, is a really good teammate and somebody that is well liked. Um, you know, his his goals of trying to reestablish himself and get his career back on track was not congruent with what Cleveland's goals would have been this year, and so there would have naturally been some tension there because. You can understand why uh, Colin might force the issue a little bit when coming back, if for nothing else to prove to himself that he's still the player he thinks he is. And that's just really obviously not what Cleveland was going to need from him or need from that role this season. So to be able to swap him out for, like, frankly, like a millionaire's version of Colin Sexton— it's it's a great move for Cleveland and I'm I'm really excited for the Cleveland fans. So we've got to change the title of this to the Emergency Colin Sexton podcast.
0: <laughs> well, let's you led right into it. Let's so not move young to bull. Yeah. yeah. Let's move to the Cleveland side of this thing. Because I wanna I wanna ask a question to you and it's gonna be a little long winded, so bear with me as I let's work my way to it. Okay, so this is the hypothetical Cleveland Cavaliers depth chart going into next season. You have a starting five of Stacks. Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell, Isaac Okoro at the three, Evan Mobley, and Jared Allen with a bench unit of Karis LeVert, Kevin Love, Chetty Osman. I mean, Robin Lopez, if you want to throw him in there. Fine and backup Rubio. center. Fine
1: backup center. Yeah,
0: and Ricky Rubio. <laughs> that is and a of course, very... Rubio
1: needs to come back from injury, but that, that team's stacked.
0: That team is stacked. So my question to you, as you've had a chance to work through this is when you look at the Eastern conference, where would Number you one seed? <laughs> so go, go to, I it. don't have to wait.
1: I don't have to wait. I was, you know, this honestly, I was flirting with the idea before the trade even happened. And you and I had talked this summer because I had kind of begun the process of looking at win totals for the season and that's a very different exercise than like deciding who is going to win the title. So I'm not saying that I think that Cleveland is the most likely team in the Eastern conference to win the championship. But when you're, when you're doing that exercise, you look for a couple of things. The number one thing, and I think this is the thing that people miss a lot is motive. Um, and this, and we'll get to that part of it, but I always look for motive and depth and then teams that can, um, can withstand injuries, you know, and that's that's the depth piece right there. But let's talk about Motive. This is a team that, and people forget this about them two seasons ago, they, they've started really well the last two seasons. Now two seasons ago they fell off a cliff, they dealt with a lot of injuries, but it was one of the reasons why people in Cleveland were optimistic going into last season in a way that I remember listening to some preseason pods and uh, the Cleveland guys were just, not they were just what they were saying the team was expecting was so off base for where the national guys had them that I remember it being really notable, you know? And so we talked about motive. They've started great. The last two seasons last year, it was not fool's gold at all. They had a fantastic point differential while they were healthy. They were looking to be a top four seed and their season was once again, derailed by injuries culminating in them losing in the play-in but realistically they 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 were very much a playoff team last year even if if that's not what the the ledger states and so you have a team that I think even without Donovan Mitchell there they're very motivated to get as much out of the regular season as they can a group of guys you're talking about a starting lineup now even with Donovan Mitchell where You know, Donovan Mitchell is the oldest guy in their starting lineup at 25 years old. So you have an organization pushing in the same direction because, you know, unlike the Milwaukee Bucks or the Brooklyn Nets, many other teams that will ultimately contend for that Eastern Conference Championship, they have all the reason in the world to want to prove to themselves that they are this caliber of team. And so to me, the motive is there. And then you outline the depth. I mean, dude, that, I mean, it's nasty. That team's, in, that's a nasty team, man. And, and a team that can play a lot of different styles. A team that you could just as easily see win in a blowout, shootout game as, a, as one as a rock fight, you know? So I think that this, that, I think, I to me, the more interesting question is what the, what's their long-term ceiling as a group, but... To me in the short term this is a this is a serious contender to be the top seed in the east.
0: No, this is one of the reasons we started doing the podcast about the Wolves. I mean selfishly we're Wolves fans, but it was because of the team that is going to be rolled out this upcoming season and what that's going to mean long term. It's a, and it's a, it's an exciting topic because you get to live it in real time with what these young players turn into. And I agree with you with Cleveland so you say you have them as the one seed. What I did with this exercise is I looked at, as a comp, I looked at the obvious, which is last year's number two seed in the West, which was Memphis, which was to everybody a shock that they were able to win 56 games and be the two seed. But the reality is they were a young, really hungry team that had every motivation to win games during the regular season, which Cleveland will have in spades. The other thing about the Cleveland team, you talk about their future and the interesting, you know, where we think that this team projects moving forward, what this does and, and again, it leads into a lot of conversations, we don't need to do it tonight, but that we will have about the Timberwolves, where what it does is it assures that you add enough of a veteran presence, high-end veteran presence, that you're going to be able to compete right now today. And every game, every week, every month, every year that passes, the young players on your team, because of how high you are on them, you believe that you are growing along with competing. And Cleveland is going to be set up in the exact same way. So going into this upcoming season, you mentioned that Donovan Mitchell may not even this upcoming season be the best player on that Cleveland roster. I think it's likely that he probably still is. But the point you're making is Darius Garland and, and Evan Mobley are very talented young players with extremely high ceilings. Evan Mobley specifically, given his skill set and, and his physical size. And so what Cleveland did in making this trade and not having to part ways with any like key pieces of their core is it was completely additive and nothing was removed that I would argue didn't already need to be removed. Um, The Colin Sexton piece you laid out clearly, Laurie and it was fun that when everybody was healthy, they were running three bigs out there. It was a unique style of play in this league, but it wasn't something that I would say long-term was going to be effective and it was proven out through, through the season. Um, And for me, So I haven't gone so far as to say Cleveland's the one seed. I will say they're as likely as anybody else, in my opinion. But I, I am extremely high on the leap that Darius Garland and Evan Mobley will both take this upcoming season. And so it could be a one seed. It could be a two seed, three seed, whatever it is. But this is a team that I actually think through this trade made themselves a legitimate contender in the Eastern Conference, depending on how big a leap we believe, you know, with how big a leap those two players take this upcoming season, which is a question mark until we see it play out.
1: I agree, and I mean he, here's here's you know a couple of rhetorical questions, which is what what is the most important thing that most important skill set for your starting backcourt to have create their own offense, right? And Cleveland may arguably have the best backcourt in that regard and like what's the most important thing for your starting front court be able to defend <laughs> they may have the best defensive front court in the league and so it's it's just a it's a stacked stacked roster man and the, the part the place that i want to take this because i think this is right in our wheelhouse and it's going to be the interesting question going forward here is Clearly, the teams, the rebuilding teams of the present have made the decision that NFL teams have been making for the past 15 years, which is when you have a great player on a rookie contract, ergo that player is vastly underpaid based on their current performance, we need to use that surplus money today to build a team around them obviously we talked the Timberwolves did it cleveland just did it right here the guy that they have the surplus value with is evan mobley the Timberwolves have anthony edwards we know that dallas tried so hard to do this and they kind of made yes. a proto version of this trade with the porzingis trade frankly um it's just in that quaint era those two picks that they traded yeah. um and we also know atlanta tried to, tried and did do it two times which is the First time around, they had a shitload of cap space. There was no big whale to net, but they added a bunch of complementary pieces that culminated in them getting to the East Finals with Trey Young still on his rookie deal. Um, and then now, ultimately, they made the trade for DeJounte Murray. So we know the teams of the present are all philosophically aligned with what do we do when we have identified that we have our franchise player. Right? So that's clear. And and you could even take it back to twenty seventeen in Boston doing that with Jason Tatum, surrounding Jason Tatum with Kyrie Irving and Al Horford and Gordon Hayward. Yep. The rebuilding teams of the future are all doing the opposite. And that's Utah, OKC, San Antonio, Houston to some degree, stocking up on future draft picks to do you know, a process style rebuilt. Um, more more swings at your at bat, more bites at the apple, more darts on the board, however you wanna whatever cliche you wanna use. So the interesting thing to me is I think we have a we have a better idea of how it works out doing the Utah model because we have seen that before. What we don't yes. know is how the Cleveland, Minnesota, Atlanta, Dallas model is gonna work out. And that to me that's the that's the great question here going forward is one, and it might be, to split the difference, it might be that it's circumstantial, and it, what is smart for one team is dumb for another team. But I think it's very likely that, and this is a question we won't have an answer to for 15 years, but um, it's, it's hard to not observe that if one of these strategies proves to be the smart one, that that is at the expense of the other.
0: Yeah, and I want to piggyback on that point because I think the teams you just brought up, it's interesting to look at the situations that they're in and, and kind of what led them to the point that they made these trades. So you mentioned Minnesota, Cleveland, and you mentioned Dallas as well. So what's interesting is I want to give a lot of credit, and you and I love this, especially coming from you know being small market fans of Minnesota. Small market teams have always had a big disadvantage. What is similar in Cleveland and in Minnesota is that they played a and a long game is is a relative term in NBA terms. A long, you know, playing a long game could be two seasons. But they played a long game where they did smart transactional business and drafted well over the course of a few seasons consecutively. To the point that when an opportunity arose, they had the re- the required assets to actually complete the trade that they wanted to make. In Minnesota, it was Gobert. Obviously, Cleveland, it's it's this Donovan Mitchell trade, and they're not going to get enough credit for what that is because again, in Cleveland. The fact that you had Colin Sexton develop to a point that he was at least a piece that Utah was interested in, the fact that you had Laurie Markkinen to throw into the trade, and the fact that on the back that, end of that you let's were able... To...
1: Really quick, Dan. The Laurie Markkinen piece of this, which is them you know, going after a restricted free agent when most teams consider that to be a fool's errand. And yes. putting him in a position to succeed enough that... It didn't take much. All he had to do was be a more attractive piece than any of the salary that could come from New York. But still, that's a move that, that's not the type of move that's going to get you an A in somebody's off-season column, but much like how the Timberwolves in signing Jared Vanderbilt in trading for Patrick Beverly. These are all these little moves. And, you know, famously, there's the you know, Daryl Morey had the tree of moves that led to the James Harden move, and that's, that, that is the reward of making these incremental little things, getting a second rounder here, hitting on that G League player there. That's where, I mean, this is what the tough watch is about, period. But that, that is a, that's a benefit that we don't often talk about. Often you and I talk about it in the context of you've discovered a rotation player for your own team. And not that that could be the difference between you executing a trade or not. But as we've seen in the two trades that Utah's made, they acquired no blue chippers, right? Uh, In terms of present day players, but they acquired what, like seven good players, seven solid players, none of them that you would look at and say that's bad salary.
0: And that's kind of the point I'm making is the, these two small market examples Um, they did transactional business that was effective over the course of a few seasons. They hit on some draft picks. They did the restricted free agency or via trade. They added guys at fair salaries. They maximized the value while they were on the roster. Then when they had to make the trade, because they had done this time and again over a period of time, they didn't have to give away key pieces of their rotation. They retained the depth whilst making the trade. And the point I want to make on this to expand just a touch is that, There's going to be criticism. There was a ton of criticism, and it remains there for Minnesota. There's less for Cleveland because the price looks a little more reasonable in the eyes of people covering the league than the Minnesota one did, and they believe more in Donovan Mitchell, obviously, than adding Rudy Gobert to a team that already has a center. But anyway.
1: Yeah, well, what I'd say about that, though, it's basically the same trade. I mean, anybody trying to split the difference, I mean, it's the same trade. (laughs) It's the exact same fucking trade.
0: But what I'm trying to get at is that, These teams did what you mentioned, the the QB analogy, the rookie quarterback analogy in the NFL. And the importance of, if you're Cleveland, if you're Minnesota, it is so rare that you open any kind of a window to real playoff success. However long it lasts, that window is narrow and it comes about rarely. And these are two examples of teams that capitalized on that window. The criticism will only come if, you know, the best that Cleveland or Minnesota does is a second round exit or something like that. But the reality is you can't critique the team for making that move. This is what you have to do if you're one of these teams in these markets. If you are able to crack open the door a touch to be able to make a real run at a possible playoff run, you have to do it every time. And so yeah. regardless of the price... Well, there's two
1: options there, Dan. This is what people miss about small markets is like, you do have to be bold like that if you want to ever get into championship contention or if you want to play conservative you will get stuck in that Indiana Pacers zone if you're constantly keeping the powder dry because you'll pro- in all likelihood you'll never be able to draft in succession enough excellent players to build a championship team i mean you need you need to use all three mechanisms to acquire players you need to draft trade and acquire guys in free agency and like you've been saying, if you're one of these small market teams, by and large, you're locked out of free agency. Okay, that means we draft and trade. So, you know, yeah, a team like the New York Knicks, they can go out and sign Jalen Brunson. Jalen Brunson's not signing with Cleveland or Minnesota. So we got to come to the table with more in a trade, and that's just the reality of the situation.
0: Yeah, and and the reason I like that you brought up Dallas and their attempts to do, you know, essentially what these two teams do. Desperately. De- absolutely Desperately. Desperately. But the the difference, the key difference, is it's not that Dallas wasn't trying. I give them a lot of credit for their attempts. The problem was they did not do good transactional business and work well through the draft right. over a period a of point. years. And so they did not have the types of packages to put together to try and land one of these big fish. And so they were attempting to do the same thing. It's just Cleveland and Minnesota got rewarded for doing yeah, good nobody business wants for several Josh seasons.
1: Green.
0: That's exactly right absolutely right and again like even a guy like tim hardaway where you could squint and look at that and go like well he's not a bad player it's like yeah but no team is going to think that's a good piece coming back and a potential trade for a star Yeah, and this is
1: where people you know there's people get conservative with these future picks because the the whole mystery box aspect of it it could be anything it could even be a good player you know and the thing is Dallas, is, it's funny to call them a cautionary tale because they were just in the West Finals 10 minutes ago, but for, they're, they're deep in the luxury tax this year, which is not where they want to be because they're not a finals contender. So ergo, their roster right now, which is not very good, is actually going to be worse when the chips are down because they're going to have to slash salary to get under the tax because they can't start that repeater tax clock on a non-title contending team. And the reason that they are in that position is because they swung and miss on attempting to do this. And they split the middle by just signing guys to fair market deals. And all of a sudden you look up when your rookie contract phenom guy gets accurate, fairly paid, you look up and you're deep in the tax simply off of having role guys around them. And so you look at Cleveland Donovan Mitchell has three years left on his deal. Evan Mobley has three years left on his rookie deal. Still, <laughs> like, yes. people talk. People talk about, oh, you know, oh, well, Donovan's going to leave at the end of his deal. I'm not saying that's no harm, no foul. But what I am saying is they'll have three more years of draft picks on the back end if they want before Evan Mobley's deal even kicks in. And so, and this has been my uh, my point that I've made on, and we haven't done it on Pod, but that you and I have been talking about over the phone this summer. Like this is the point I've been making about the Timberwolves too, is by the time Anthony Edwards slash Evan Mobley is ready to be the guy 25 years old, like Donovan Mitchell is today, you can literally make this exact same transaction again because you get a fucking first and second round pick given to you every single year. (laughs) It's like you, you get access to these picks again. So if, you, if this goes completely bust, you know, man, and you still do the same things they did, you find the next Lowry Markkinen, you draft the next Jared Vanderbilt, blah, blah, blah. You're, you're positioned to do these trades again, which is why, you know, everybody fetishizes the picks. But at the end of the day, what real teams do in real life is they take the proven commodity 10 out of 10. And, you, and here's the thing. Utah would have too, if <laughs> yes. Donovan Mitchell yes. and Rudy Gobert got along and they wanted to play together till the end of their careers, they would be holding on to those guys.
0: Absolutely, and you know, I want to I want to touch on the Donovan Mitchell piece of this too because you and I joked on the phone. As soon as this broke, you and I talked on the phone and and we laughed about what Donovan Mitchell must be feeling about where he landed because and he's done a nice job on social, you know, making sure to make it look yep, he's doing you know pretty thing, pretty yep. positive. Um, But what's funny about this trade is you and I, when we were talking, we thought the Knicks were a given. And so all summer we were kind of joking about it and going, you know, it's probably like the worst thing for whatever his, you know, and it's so cheap to talk like legacy shit with a 25 year old. It's cheap to talk legacy with most players, but like it's stupid to talk about a 25 year old and what their legacy after they're done is going to be. But the reason we talked about it is because we're like, if he goes to New York, man. Like, not only is that roster construction around him really weird and pretty thin, like, it will, it is better for his brand and it's cooler on Sunday afternoon on ABC to watch him play in MSG. But the reality is, like, as far as a basketball situation and Donovan Mitchell trying to maximize whatever his value is and the opinion of him in the league is, this is a fucking amazing landing spot for this guy because he's around young players that are developing and are believed to be all star caliber players. And he's around an incredibly deep roster that in large part overcomes a lot of his deficiencies. If Isaac Okoro is the starting small, small forward and Evan Mobley and Jared Allen are in the front court, which they will be. Then a lot of his, the biggest thing this off, this off season has been the talk about how putrid he was defensively in that series uh, this past uh, playoffs. And it's like, yeah, man, because he was so bad. And then everything funneled to the one guy. It's like, this is a team actually built instead of having Bogdanovich. Two of them. <laughs> yeah, it's, you have two of them. And then on the wing, you could put a Koro on the best yeah. scoring yeah. option. And it's like it 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 completely mitigates a lot of the deficiencies that he's shown in Utah and maximizes his offensive output playing on a team that is going to win a ton of games and is also going to use him in a much more efficient way. It's not going to be so Donovan Mitchell centric because the team has made it clear that Darius Garland and Evan Mobley are the future. Donovan Mitchell is just an addition to that future. He's coming into an established team because although these guys are younger and he'll be looked up to, the franchise, don't get it twisted, is betting on Garland and Mobley for the long term. Donovan Mitchell, they hope it works, but those two are locked in.
1: Yeah, you. Yeah, they, they, they're They. what allows you to trade for Donovan Mitchell. I mean, and in the same way that Carl Towns and Anthony Edwards allows you to trade for Rudy Gobert. Um, I like that you brought up Okoro. is a big winner in this transaction because... And it's not because now he's just gifted that small forward spot. Because, for, I mean, honestly, he might lose the spot to Chetty. And Chetty Osman might be a better fit. Um, I have a hard time seeing Karis Levert being a good fit with the starting five. But... No. He's a big winner here because, you know, unlike, and this is the thing, we we the Timberwolves have been in the lottery so many times that you, you get to a point where it's like you know the difference. We know the difference now between, like, drafting a real impact player and drafting one where you're just, like, looking at it with the rosiest possible goggles. Um, and obviously Cleveland just did that with Evan Mobley. We're like, oh, this is, okay, we get it. Like, and the Wolves with Anthony Edwards. It's like, oh, there's a difference. Isaac Okoro kind of falls in the middle, which is to me, he he's a worthwhile prospect. Like was Especially he, on this team. Yeah, he shouldn't have been drafted as high as he was drafted because of what his skill set is. It's like it's just unlikely that he'll ever be able to acquire the type of skills you need to make it worthwhile of that high of a draft pick. But as far as A prospect in the broadest sense of the term, the guy's attitude, what he's already good at, um, the role he could play in the league. You're now in a position where what he's already good at is now they all they now really don't need him to do anything other than that. Like and so he can continue to for his career improve on the aspects of his game that are well below par. Uh, i.e. shooting <laughs> and yeah um really focus on being a lockdown guy he he's now the guy that they can put on the team's best perimeter player with mobley and jared allen behind him that's that's a role he can excel in while over the course of seasons he gets his offensive game up to snuff i mean to me if we're talking about a is it possible that Isaac Okoro could be a very high-end starter in the league? I think the path is absolutely wide open for him now to become that down the road because of what his his experience is going to be here in Cleveland, what they're going to ask of him.
0: No, he's going to be given a ton of grace to develop, which is what he needs, because he just needs time. And, and the pressure is on. If, when, if you don't make the Donovan Mitchell trade, the reason the pressure is on is because he was a high draft pick, and if the team is not... Is not looked at is a maybe a top four seed in their conference. Like you really start squinting and staring at those young players that you've drafted in recent years, begging them to improve faster. So Isaac Okoro will be given a lot of grace given this trade. I agree with you. The other thing about him too, Dan.
1: Dan, here is this is interesting. This just popped my head. Like, why wasn't he in this trade? Is it is it because Cleveland was steadfast in hanging on to him, or did Utah not want him?
0: Well, I think the way the trade worked out is they were lucky to not have to include him. I don't think Utah, he's not the type of player that Utah would have required to be a part of it, obviously, because they didn't. But the other thing is the Colin Sexton piece was was the ace up their sleeve is where it's like we want Colin Sexton gone because it just doesn't really fit, especially if we're going to execute a Donovan Mitchell trade like this just isn't really going to work. Um, so you guys would prefer to have a guy like Colin Sexton because he's just a flat out better NBA player today than Isaac Coro. Plus it makes it work for us. Isaac Okoro, you know, it's, it's going to be fascinating to see with this group. Cause he's essentially the, and anal- now he's, it's so analogous to see him on this roster and watch what we saw last year from Jared Vanderbilt in Minnesota, where it's like, he was the token fifth starter. And your, your expectation was yeah. defend at a high level and be an energy guy. Essentially on this group, that's all he's going to be asked to do. And again, if he can develop any kind of a shooting, yep. yeah, just garbage be a garbage man, man, and bring a ton of great energy to the group. Um, but no, t- to answer your question directly, they got away with this, the stars really aligning with Colin Sexton needing to go as part of this trade for Cleveland and also being a desirable piece at a fair number for Utah.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. I, I, I'm just, I'm tickled also that it, it was a surprise, I mean, I I love that about following this league, which is every once every once in a blue moon, it is a trade like the Knicks one where it's like it's been so telegraphed that that's what's going to happen that we're just waiting for it to actually happen, but more often than not, it's something like this. This was a true Woj bomb, a throwback. Um, yeah. Where I'm at work, my wife shows me her phone, which I had to make sure it wasn't a fake account. And no, it's Woj with the blue check, and it says Donovan, and, and he did it. This the man. This is the man's medium. He did it. He had the details, I'm sure, because they got t- tweeted by somebody else like minutes later. But he just puts it out there. Donovan Mitchell traded to the Cleveland Cavaliers. No other details. And we're sitting there refreshing the feed, like, what? What's the trade? <laughs> you know. And so that that's fun to still have that. Um, yeah, he has got Twitter figured genuine, out. Have a genuine surprise like that.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that was 45 minutes on the trade, man. Let's wrap. Um, this was an emergency. We didn't plan on coming on. Glad we did. Um, really fun trade. Cannot wait for what this does for Cleveland. Can't wait for what this does for the league and the Eastern Conference and the, kind of the battle for those top seeds in that conference. We will come back. It'll be – it's Labor Day weekend. We'll be back at some point this weekend um, to do the – the ranking of the 25 guys from the 18, 19 and 20 draft, uh, which will be kind of an exciting, that's one of our favorite pods. Again.
1: I got to correct you. So, 19, 20, 21, 19, 20, 21. My, apologies. My apologies. Which lots of guys, you know, the aforementioned Isaac Okoro, probably not going to be in there, but Evan Mobley, a lock Darius Garland lock. And so lots to talk about.
0: Absolutely. And uh, appreciate you sticking with us, Charlie, as a listener, we really, yeah, Charlie, uh, we really it. appreciate the listens Uh, come back this weekend. Follow us on here. We will be releasing weekly. And again, we'll be back either Sunday or Monday of this upcoming weekend. So great to talk to you, Rick. Have
1: a great rest of the night. Peace.